The stove is hot. Jacob DeGrom, member of the Texas Rangers. Justin Verlander, New York Met. Trey Turner, Philadelphia Phillies. Also, the Hall of Fame got it wrong on Sunday night. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked On MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. And now that the winter meetings have kicked off, we're finally seeing some action when it comes to MLB free agency. Uh, It feels like the first big domino that had to fall was the consensus best pitcher available on a long-term deal, Jacob deGrom. Um, Two injury-ridden years with the Mets, uh, Leaves just signed five years, $185 million with the Rangers. There's a sixth-year option there, $20 million, with no buyout on it. So $185 million guaranteed. And the way that this breaks down for the age 34 Jacob DeGrom, starts off at $30 million next year, then it goes $40 million, $40 million, $38 37. If they exercise the sixth-year option, that'll be another 20, which would bring it to six years, $205 million. So uh, what does this mean for the Rangers' prospects? Because that's what we do here, right? Uh, you don't really sign any one specific pitcher and have any sort of issues uh, as far as blocking prospects, okay? You need so many starting pitchers that pitching signings don't necessarily change what happens to the prospect. Now, I do like the idea of being able to surround some of these young guys with a Jacob deGrom in spring training and in off-season workouts uh, and have him as a resource for them. I do like that idea and that aspect of it. So you get that. And you look at at the rotation now for the Rangers. Jacob deGrom, uh, John Gray, Martin Perez, who signed the qualifying offers. It's a one-year deal. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, and Dane Dunning. So you've got a one through five, and you're not going to be asking a prospect to carry the load every day, at least to open the season. You know you're going to need seven, eight, nine pitchers, start you know different starters to get through a season, if not more. Uh, but you don't have to plan on a rookie uh, being a starter out of spring training. So a Cole Wynn, a Cole Reagans, a... a you know, a Glenn Otto, you can take your time seeing how they do, giving them a chance to spot start here and there, giving them a chance to be the extra guy for a double header and kind of work them into it while you've got that next wave that's behind them. Jack Leiter, Owen White, Kumar Rocker, those guys. So long-term and short-term, I guess, doesn't really affect the prospects too much. Uh, one signing that does affect the prospects and not just the pitchers, but kind of all of them is the guy that New York used to replace uh, Jacob DeGrom, and that's Justin Verlander. Two-year, $86 million deal, uh, so $43 million a season, the same amount that Max Scherzer's getting. And it's funny, last time they were on a rotation together with the Tigers, I think combined they made $25 million. Uh, here, they're each making 43 And then there's a third-year vesting option. We don't have exact info as of the time of recording, as to what 
uh, will cause that to vest, but typically that's an innings limit. So once he hits a certain minimum threshold of innings, that 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 third year option vests, and he now it's now a three year deal, which would bring him interestingly to age forty five. He was saying a couple years ago he wanted to pitch until he was forty five. But what this does for the Mets prospects, you have eighty six million dollars in salary next year tied up in two starting pitchers who are both over. 40 years old. And so what this does is this very, very clearly and very emphatically says we are looking to win now. We are in the competitive window. And so any Mets prospect who gets called up, you know, and there's there's plenty of options, whether it's catcher Francisco Alvarez, whether it's third baseman Brett Beatty, you know, plenty of guys you can call up. But what this does is this just means that the leash is shorter, right? Because you can't afford to have these guys fail at the big league level. You have to win as many games as possible. You saw last year uh, the inability to get a DH required midseason trades. They didn't want to call up and use a Francisco Alvarez or a Mark Vientos as the everyday DH. They went out and traded for a Daniel Vogelback and a Darren Ruff because they wanted... Uh, They wanted veterans, and they needed to skip the learning curve of a prospect. So I still think uh, one of your catchers out of spring training is going to be Francisco Alvarez. I do. I think probably him and James McCann are your two guys. Tomas Nito may be the guy left out. I don't know. But it's just it, it makes it a lot harder to bring those guys up, especially your pitchers, and when they struggle to let them stay in the rotation and figure it out every fifth day. And right now, you don't have to have a prospect pitching to start the year. Uh, you've got Verlander, you've got Scherzer, you've got Carrasco, all over 35. And then you've got Tyler Miguel, David Peterson. You've got plenty of options. Obviously, you signed Edwin Diaz. Eliezer Hernandez, you traded for him from Miami. He's an option to either work in relief or out of the bullpen. I'm sorry, to either start or work as a long reliever out of the bullpen. But whenever you go to call a pitcher up, the issue is you you can't afford to let them fail at the big league level. At the the moment they start struggling, you're going to have to send them down and replace them. Uh, This is the same thing you see for a lot of teams like the Braves. The Braves always have a ton of uh, AAA pitchers who feel like they're just about ready to go. And it's something where the first time they struggle, they get sent back down. So that's a situation you're in in New York with bringing in Justin Verlander. An interesting addition to a team Kind of under the radar a little bit. Mike Clevenger to the White Sox. One-year deal for $8 million uh, guaranteed salary. And then he has an eight, oh, sorry, he has a, a mutual option that will vest on a certain innings threshold. Uh, that is a $12 million option with a $4 million buyout. So Mike Clevenger is guaranteed $12 million in 2023. Either eight in salary and $4 million in the buyout or eight in salary, and then if both sides pick up the mutual option, which feels like it rarely happens, but if both sides pick it up, it'll be a two-year, $20 million deal. I think it's interesting as far as if he's healthy and if he's able to perform closer to what the Mike Clevenger of old used to look like, this could be a good deal for the White Sox because if you look at their rotation, you've got a Lance Lynn, you've got Dylan Cease, you've got Lucas Giolito and Michael Kobe. 
uh, Mike Clevenger doesn't have to carry the load. He's your fifth starter as of right now. And so it's a good way to buy low $12 million, but in baseball terms, it's buying low, to buy low on a talented pitcher who's recovering from injury and trying to rediscover his form. I like the deal. Still some work to do in the infield. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. You get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, both the ones that are playing right now. So you get college football and professional football. You can get college basketball and professional basketball, both men and women. You can get the World Cup right now. You can look at esports. That's all betonline.net. Or you can go out and you can look at sports that aren't playing right now, like MLB. We saw updated World Series odds now that free agency has started. Los Angeles Dodgers are still the favorite to win the 2023 World Series, plus 575. The Houston Astros are plus 650. The Atlanta Braves are plus 850. And the New York Mets are plus 900. So, plenty to go out there and look to see what the odds are. It's funny, the Yankees are plus 1,000 to win the World Series. Yet, BetOnline also has them as not the favorites to re-sign Aaron Judge. That's now the Giants. And so, I don't understand if they don't re-sign Aaron Judge. I don't think they're anywhere close to winning the World Series. And so, the 1,000 number seems like it's we have a lot of Yankees fans coming in and giving us free money. But that's neither here nor there. If you want to go out and, and, and uh, get, give us a try, BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action because BetOnline is where the game starts. Okay, hitter deals in free agency. Uh, the news broke Monday afternoon. Trey Turner to the Phillies. 11 years, $300 million. Um, I thought that you would see $300 million or at least you would see somewhere close to $30 million per year. I did not think you would see 11 years for Trey Turner. This deal will take him, I believe, through his age 41 season. And for a player that's it feels like has been so predicated on contact and speed, I wonder about the stability of a long-term deal like that and what that's going to do to you uh, five, six years down the road when he runs like a 35-year-old and not like a 30-year-old. And I say that knowing that I'm over 35 and I feel a little old right now. But it's it's a situation where the fit to me, I get the fit. He's an East Coast guy. He played with Bryce Harper. They're good friends. Uh, I, I understand the fit from a personal perspective for Trey Turner. From a team-building perspective, you already have a team that has been decried for its defense, uh, for not having great defense. And I can hear the Phillies fans right now. I've gotten your texts. I've gotten your DMs. I've gotten your tweets. Ball go boom. Yes, ball go boom. Uh, Trey Turner of the four feels like he has the the lowest defensive ceiling of the four. Um, now, it's not because of range. There's, there's arm strength questions and things like that. I do wonder about what the range is going to do as he ages. Um, but in the short term, what this does, this pushes Bryson Stott to second base. And so now your infield is a Reese Hoskins at first, Bryson Stott at second, Trey Turner at short, uh, and Alec Bohm at third. So you've got uh, 
A couple youngsters there, 25 years old for Stott, 26 years old for Bohm, combined with Turner and Hoskins will both be 30 next season. And then your outfield, while you're waiting on, on the surgery for, for Bryce Harper, still Brandon Marsh in center, Kyle Schwarber in left, Nick Castellanos in right. Um, you're going to have to have some outfields, some outfielders available for late in games to do defensive replacement with and things like that. But this offense is very much doubling down on ball go boom. It's fun to watch. I will give you that. It is absolutely fun to watch. And I'm starting to wonder, has baseball gotten so analytically inclined when it comes to team building on finding the complete players and the platoon advantages and all of this stuff that we've kind of overvalued defense? The fact the Phillies made it to the World Series last year, coming in third in that division behind the Braves and Mets, uh, and were able to go so far when the season began and everyone talked about how bad the defense was going to be, it does make me wonder if perhaps we've overvalued defense a bit. going to be interesting to kind of see some of the advanced stuff and some of the writing that comes out this offseason, looking back at the Phillies 2022 and thinking, yeah, maybe Trey Turner was the best signing for them because they're so focused on offense. Uh, And so they bring in Trey Turner and just ball go boom. Let him get on base. Let the guys behind him bring him in. So we'll see what happens. More of the deals. Jose Abreu from the White Sox to the Astros. Three years, $60 million. Not a, a ton to go over as far as both teams here. Houston didn't really have options in the farm system for first base unless you were going to look at taking one of the catchers, uh, a Pedro Leon, a Corey Lee, and having them play some first base when they weren't catching, since you do still have Martin Maldonado for one more season. So there was that option. You know, the question of were you going to play one of those guys um, at first base, and now you have a break, you don't necessarily have to. Uh, For the White Sox, talked about this on a recent show, uh, Andrew Vaughn is now the first baseman. Uh, they've moved him there. They've said this is his true position. He's not an outfielder anymore. Uh, he was one of the worst defensive outfielders in baseball last year. And so you're in a situation where you still kind of really only have one true outfielder on the roster, and that's Luis Robert Jr. in center field. You're calling up Oscar Colas to play right. Uh, left field is Eloy Jimenez. And then I guess your DH is Gavin Sheets. I feel like there's an opportunity here to go out and find a left fielder, move uh, Jimenez to DH, strengthen your outfield defense. Still some stuff you can do there. Obviously, second base, still a concern. Kind of makes you think somebody like a Juris and Profar would be pretty useful like that. And a team that did fix their second base um, is the Seattle Mariners. So the Mariners make a trade with the Milwaukee Brewers. And the Mariners get Colton Wong. And so now what your infield looks like for Seattle, Ty France at first, Colton Wong at second, J.P. Crawford at short, Eugenio Suarez at third. And your outfield is some combination of Teoscar Hernandez, Julio Rodriguez, and I guess Jared Kalinick? Uh, I mean, Sam Haggerty's still on the roster. Dylan Moore still on the roster. Cooper Hummel is on the 40-man roster. He can play some outfield as well. Taylor Trammell is still on the roster. You've got guys who can play left field. Uh, I think, I I don't see them going out and acquiring another outfielder and putting him in left. So I think you're going to rotate that job through some guys, see if Kalinick can figure it out. If not, he's a 
candidate for a change of scenery trade. We see that all the time with guys where it just doesn't work in the first place. They put him in the second place and it worked out. The Mets traded him in December 2018. Looks like a pretty smart decision because they got Edwin Diaz for it. Just re-signed him to a massive deal. It kind of looks like that was the right call to trade top, the top prospect in clinic for Diaz. Still questions about can you improve at shortstop? You don't have a top prospect in the system outside of A-ball at shortstop since you traded Noel V. Marte in the Luis Castillo deal. I mean, you've got Cole Young who was in A-ball last year, but he also was drafted in the first round last year, so he barely touched A-ball and he's 19 years old. You don't really have a top prospect uh, or a promising prospect at short anywhere except for A-ball. Now for the Brewers, what this trade does is a couple things. One, a little bit of salary, I'm sure, kind of helps out there. But you free up second base for prospect Bryce Terang. So Bryce Terang can now come up and take over second base for the Milwaukee Brewers. You found a spot for him. You do bring in infielder Abraham Toro. I think he profiles more as a utility guy than an everyday starter for you. If you kind of go like around the diamond, you've got Rowdy Telez at first, Bryce Terang now at second, uh, Willie Adamas at short. I think Willie Adamas is a very good shortstop. It was a great trade they made with Tampa. Part of the reason he struggled in Tampa, he said he just couldn't see the ball very well in that ballpark. His home road splits kind of bore that out. He just looks very good. I do know that he is an arbitration guy, expected to make around $9 million this year. So depending on what they do salary-wise, if they're trying to move more salary and they end up not moving one of those big pitchers of Burns or Woodruff, it's possible that they move Willie Adamas to save some money. And then third base, you have, I mean, options. You have a Mike Brousseau. Uh, you have Luis Urias. A couple different options you can plug in at third base. Uh, the outfield is you acquired Jesse Winker in this trade. So the, the return for Colton Wong was Abraham Toro and Jesse Winker. Uh, yes, you have Jesse Winker, but he's not here to play the outfield. I think at this point in his career, it's kind of understood. The knees aren't going to work out, things like that. So you're still looking at Chris and Yelich and left. You're looking at Jesse Winker as your DH. And then right now, Garrett Mitchell in center field and a Tyrone Taylor in right or an Asturi Ruiz in right or Kesson Hero in right. But you've got those top prospects. You remember we talked about You've got a Sal Frelick, you've got a Joey Weimer, a couple guys who can come up next year and impact you at the big league level, and then right behind them, about a year behind them, maybe two years, I don't know, is Jackson Churio, number one of the top prospects in all of baseball. So uh, this kind of clears some space, gets you, a, gets you a spot for the hot prospect and terrain, gets you a power bat and a utility guy on a short-term basis, without blocking the path of some of your top prospects who are going to come up in the outfield as far as you still have Yelich, but you have room for Mitchell to play because, again, you're not playing Jesse Winker in the outfield in case, unless something goes terribly wrong and gives you a little financial flexibility to see if you can try to keep a Burns and a Woodruff on a longer-term deal. And just a minute, I want to get to the Hall of Fame vote on Sunday night, where they got it right and where they got it wrong right here. Unlocked an MLB prospect. And we're back. So the Contemporary Era Committee met and had a short ballot for Hall of Fame options. 16 guys on the, uh, 16 people on the committee. You had to have 12 votes to get in. 
the only player inducted was Fred McGriff. It was unanimous, 16 of 16 on the voting. So Fred McGriff was in uh, from the eight from the eight nominees under consideration. Fantastic career. Came up briefly in 1986, but made his full season debut in 1987 at age 23 for Toronto. Played all the way into his year 40, uh, his age 40 season in 2004 with Tampa Bay. Uh, but for his career, I mean, spent the majority of it with um, with Toronto, Atlanta, and Tampa Bay. Those are the three teams he spent most of his time with. Had the most statistical success in Atlanta. Was traded uh, in the middle of the 1993 season, age 29. Was traded from the Padres to the Braves. But 94, 95, 96. All-star all three years for Atlanta. MVP votes in 1994 at age 30 and 1995 at age 31. Uh, got three Silver Slugger awards. Was a five-time All-Star. And it's funny because in 1993, he was came in fourth place in the MVP voting and won a Silver Slugger, but he wasn't an All-Star because he was traded mid-season. It's just kind of weird how that works. Started off with San Diego. 275, 361, 497, 83 games with them. Wasn't an all-star. Gets traded at the deadline. 68 games with Atlanta. 310, 392, 612 slugging. OPS of over 1,000 for Atlanta in that year. And in 94, the 1,012 OPS. So, 493 home runs. Seven away from from 500. Uh, 2,490 hits. Ten away from 2,500. Uh, people who loved the round numbers, that was kind of something that held him back. I'm glad to see he got in. I am not happy to see that Dale Murphy did not get in. And if you're somebody who follows me on Twitter, you are more than aware of how I feel about this. Because I went on a, a tirade on Twitter on Sunday night about this. Dale Murphy was one of the best players, if not the best player, of the 1980s. And did not get into the Hall of Fame. Okay, so came up in 1976 at age 20 as a catcher for Atlanta. Uh, Played in a total of 37 games in 76 and 77 as a catcher. 78, they moved him to first base. And in 1980, at age 24, they moved him to center field. And from 1980 through 1987, over 100 games in every year, he missed about 60 games in 81. And the rest of the years, he played at least 159, if not a full 162. His his average, like, what he did in those years, 285, 374, 517. He hit 264 home runs in those seven years. His average season was 33 home runs, 96 RBIs, and 100 runs over that seven-year stretch. The most total bases for anybody in the 1980s was Dale Murphy with 2,796. And to give you an idea of how big that total was, Pete Rose got 2,804 total bases in the 70s. So eight more total bases in the 70s than Dale Murphy had in the 80s. But Pete Rose had 900 more plate appearances to do it in. Dale Murphy's ranks for the 80s. Again, 
first in total bases, second in baseball in home runs, 308 behind only Mike Schmidt, who's in the Hall of Fame, 929 RBIs in the 80s, second behind Mike Schmidt, 133 intentional walks, third in the entire 1980s, fourth in runs, 938, fourth in hits, 1,553, and 1982-1983 back-to-back MVPs, won five gold gloves and four silver slugger awards, including four straight years where he was both the gold glove and the silver slugger in center field. Do you know how good you have to be at baseball to be given the award for the best fielder and the best hitter at your position? How rare it is for a guy to be able to do that? And Dale Murphy did it for four straight years. I understand the argument against Dale Murphy being that his peak was seven years. And he went on, he still played over 154 games every year until 1992. It was the first year his his knees just gave out at age 35 in Philadelphia there. And so he kind of fell off the very end of his career. But Dale Murphy, greatest player of the 1980s. And for all of the talk you hear about some of these guys that were on the ballot that were surly with the media or had personal transgressions or steroid concerns and all of that stuff, Dale Murphy didn't do any of it. He was considered to be one of the best players to interview by the media. He was incredibly friendly and gracious with his time to fans, uh, to organizations who wanted his help, to nonprofits, to individuals. And if you're going to ding some of these guys for being just awful to work with and bad to the media, you have to give Dale Murphy credit for being very good with the media and with people and giving of his time and so generous and such a great person. I mean, he's gone on Locked on Braves. He came on to Locked on Braves. And Talk to our buddy Jake Mastriani. So, listen, Dale Murphy not being in the Hall of Fame is a tragedy. I don't care what this committee says. Dale Murphy is a Hall of Famer to me. If you have questions for the show, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked On Farm, or you can email us, lockedonmlbprospects at gmail.com. Until tomorrow's show, this has been Locked On MLB Prospects. Mm-hmm.